Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everyone, I'm Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Deborah Peppard. Deb is the Director of HR Staff and Stuff, a really successful boutique HR consultancy that she founded back in 2008. When Deb first started her business, she had a vision to provide really practical and down-to-earth HR advice and solutions to support businesses in managing their people. Deb's common sense approach comes from many years' experience in national and global senior management roles with organisations like Intrepid Travel, Bed, Bath and Table, Goldmark Jewellery and Hoyts, just to name a few. She honed her ability to cut through the overrated and complicated HR stuff whilst also leading those businesses to achieve their full potential with increased growth in sales, recognition, through awards and building successful teams. Deborah's been operating her business now for over 12 years. I first met Deb 12 years ago at a HR conference after joining a national network of HR professionals, HR Coach. I walked away from that conference and Deb's advice was indelibly imprinted on my memory. She gave me the hottest tip she had learned about business and growing business, to be focused on others at networking events and not just you and your needs. And that was something that I really needed to learn back when I had just started my business. My experience of Deborah since that day in 2008 is that she is smart, funny, and energetic and passionate about what she does. And this led me to think she'd be a great guest to share her thoughts and insights by answering my five questions. Why? Because as an accredited HR coach, Deborah has a track record as a global people manager, a workshop facilitator, a public speaker, and a business mentor. So with this sort of experience under her belt, I am really keen to hear her thoughts about the challenges, the great characteristics and qualities, the employer expectations, and the future workplace skills that she feels are really critical for our young people, our Gen Zs and our millennials to be prepared for as they enter the workplace. So without further ado, I'd like to extend a really warm welcome to Deborah for joining us on today's episode. Hi, Deb, and welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for inviting me to be your guest today. I'm really excited to have a chat with you. Awesome. I'm so excited too because, you know, you've got a lot of energy and I'm pretty sure you're going to bring that to today's interview. <laughs> um, I'd like to get started by asking you a li- to give us a little bit of background about yourself, your passions and the work you do with your clients. Sure. Um, so a little bit about me. I, my entire career has been in people management roles. Um, before I started as an HR um, coach, I was um, national manager for Bed, Bath and Table. I was state manager for Goldmark. Um, I worked with Kodak. I worked with Katie's. Um, so all of my roles were very uh, much about people management. Um, and as I progressed through my career, it became really apparent to me that there was a real lack of training and lack of investment in people's leadership skills. So when I I started my business, the the driving reason was to help other business owners be better leaders so that they could create better environments for employees so that employees could have a better time at work because I saw firsthand the impact of 
really poor leadership and the impact that that had on people and then those people's families. Um, and I just don't think that a lot of leaders understand the role that they play in people's lives. So I really wanted to be in a position to influence, advocate, teach um, people how to be better people leaders and managers um, to make the world a better place if um, that's not a little bit too, you know, out there. But that that was my goal is to just make the world a better place for some people kind of one business at a time. Awesome. And you're doing that now and you feel like you're, that you're making a difference? Yeah, so sorry, I have a wide range of clients. I've actually got a team of six um, people that work with me now. Um, and we have a really wide um, breadth and depth of different clients of all different sizes and industries. Um, and our core focus work is on leadership development, performance management, helping business owners create engaged, um, engaged workplaces to engage their workforce, um, and really um, trying to embed great workplace cultures. So that's kind of the stuff that we do but obviously that includes everything from all of the HR foundation pieces and employment contracts and recruitment and policy development through to development of core values and and um, our, our um, most um, I guess favorite thing to do which is leadership development and coaching of new managers and leaders in the business yeah, yeah. fabulous so I think you're actually really well positioned then to give us your insights <laughs> around, some the, around some of the questions I'm going to ask you today, all about how we can better um, transition our Gen Zs, our young people into contemporary workplaces. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's hook in and get started. Uh, my first question for you today is all about the current challenges that you believe our young people experience in the workplace. Sure. So that's a really interesting question and I think um, that that the answer to that would vary based on the workplace and the person. But generally speaking, there's a couple of things that immediately come to mind with that, Susan. The first thing is that our young people are used to having quite a loud voice, and by that I don't mean volume, uh, in their home home and school lives, right? They're very important people. The world revolves around them. And I think one of the challenges our younger people uh, face in the workplace is that their voice is simply just not as loud um, and they may not necessarily be able to have an opinion and if they do have an opinion, it may not necessarily be considered by the business leaders. Um, and I think that causes people varying degrees of challenges um, depending on the business they're working in. So, some younger, kind of more progressive businesses will openly encourage every voice in the business without respect to tenure um, in the workplace or in the workforce um, and will openly embrace kind of innovation and ideas that young people have. Um, but many, many businesses and particularly more conservative businesses or um, have a, an expectation that young people put up and shut up, that they have to earn their stripes, that they have to put in the years to be able to have that voice. Um, and I think young people really struggle with that, uh, particularly, as I said, coming from a place where they've been the centre of people's universes and they've pretty much got their own way uh, to a great extent. And I don't mean to put everybody in a bucket and say, you know, young people are spoiled, but they are just used to being at the centre of other people's worlds and that's different in the workforce. And as a cohort, like a Generation Z cohort, mm. they are actually much more outspoken as a group, yeah. aren't they? As a group, and I think that's what you're getting at. Yes. Yeah. Oh, as a as a generation, they've they they feel a lot more freedom um, and the ability to speak up about things that are important to them. 
and that that's something that's generational i think that you know back in the day when our gen x's our baby boomers were younger we we didn't speak up well that's right and that's why i think it's a challenge because i think many business owners are not prepared for the younger people the newbies coming into the workforce to feel like they should or could have that voice so i and i think they get shut down um, so I think walking that tightrope of understanding I would like to contribute but actually have to learn to keep my mouth closed until I'm asked is a challenge. Um, I do think one of the other challenges that um, our younger people have, um, maybe more with our millennials, you know, those people kind of closer to the 30 mark than Gen Zs, yep. is that yep. they, seem to have, they have very high expectations around salary and status. Now, this is um, particularly in professional work environments. So I've got a, a number of clients who are in the engineering space or scientific space or accounting and legal firms and so on. Um, and particularly those people that aren't yet 30, they do actually have an expectation to be earning $100,000 a year and to be have, um, have significant um, jumps in their career pretty quickly. They don't even expect to have to put in a year or two before they're promoted. Um, and I'm not sure if that's more to do with social media and they see other people um, having these fantastic lives um, or whether it's a real expectation. But I think younger people are challenged by the fact that they are told no when they ask for a salary increase or when they you know, think that they should be earning $90,000 a year and the business owner doesn't quite agree. Um, I think that has become a challenge for young people. And um, I have found a lot of younger people, you know, putting their hand up, asking for salary increases because now I've got 12 months of experience and I've delivered on XYZ project, I now expect this amount of money and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to jump the fence and go and look elsewhere. Um, okay. And so that, that kind of leads into that next challenge, which I see um, our younger people um, really being challenged by how they navigate the workplace when they don't get agreement. So when they are turned down um, uh, they tend to disengage quite quickly and look for new opportunities to jump ship. They don't. One of the challenges is their resilience and to stick around to do the hard yards to earn what they perceive is their right. And that's not a commentary on uh, young people's um, having uh, inappropriate expectations. It's just that they have these expectations that are not necessarily aligned with the business affordability or business um, um, decisions around salaries and stuff like that. It makes me think for our employers who are listening, who are probably nodding their heads and saying, mm -hmm. yes, this is a real thing, is how can they better communicate up front how it's going to be dealt with, you know, in the onboarding process maybe through the induction process that, you know, this is the way it rolls in this company. Yeah. That um, it's not, you know, you're not, it's, it may not be a fast track to where you want to go to. Not, not that you're necessarily trying to put them off, but how do you manage, like it's about managing those expectations at the get-go, isn't it? So they don't lose engagement and motivation at that first hurdle. Yeah, th that's exactly what it is. I think it's about having real honest conversations about what a career path in this business will look like, both with regards to salary level expectations, promotions and timelines. You know, if somebody comes into a retail business, for example, um, straight out of school or uni, um, let's say as a buyer's assistant, um, they should be told you are not going to be the buying manager in 12 months. Um, you know, they're, they're, this is the pathway, these are the things, and whether or not the business has the ability to develop some sort of matrix of both soft and hard skills that the pe person needs to demonstrate in order to move through the ranks. But, but they also need to understand that we can't just create positions for people when they're ready for those positions either. The, the business has to have an opportunity 
to promote somebody into a role just because the person's demonstrating the skills. Sometimes you have to wait a year or two, sometimes three or four, to be able to take the next step because there's no opportunity there. The business owners, on the other hand, need to recognise that they need to actively find opportunities to give younger people that are demonstrating those skills and abilities and desires an opportunity to continue learning and growing and getting involved in special projects and having a a go at the next level stuff. If there's no job for them to move into, you have to engage them in another way. And let me give you an example of that. Um, Back when I was at Goldmark Jewelers, um, I invested heavily in our assistant managers. It's really hard to find good people in retail because most people fall into retail, but it's not a career path people choose. So it's really hard to find good people. Um, So I really invested heavily in our assistant managers. And what happened was I developed them to a level that I had... um, 35 stores in Victoria and I probably had 30 assistant managers that were ready for the next step in their career but I had no managers leaving because they were enjoying what they were doing and I was investing in them and developing them as well so what I did is I became the master of the special project for our assistant managers you know I I created opportunities for them to contribute at a more significant level because I didn't have a job to promote them into so for instance I remember that I had the um, assistant manager at our Brandon Park store that I put in charge of our watch champion and she was given the responsibility of learning all of the um, features and benefits of all of our watches she ran watch training through the entire company the state she set up sessions she was the go-to watch champion and I did that with all the different products so a gold and a diamond etc I gave people opportunities to step into secondment roles when managers were on holidays so I created opportunities for them to develop their skills apply their skills to keep them engaged and motivated even when I couldn't promote them and I think that's a really important part um, for employers today to look for those opportunities to continue people's growth. Yeah, I think it's really important too when you start thinking about um, smaller, small and medium organisations where, you know, they don't have these regular people, you know, they don't have regular opportunities to promote people. They're few and far between in some smaller organisations. So having the ability and capability to get um, our younger people who are learning and learning new skills to then work on special projects to apply them, really important. Yeah. aged yeah their own succession yeah 100 and susan it sounds um challenging possibly for some people but even the local milk bar service station bakery can find opportunities to allow young people to apply their skills they can still do their job but let's say i owned a bakery down the road that employs three staff and somebody is a customer service assistant so i start to give them projects like you are now in charge of product pricing and keeping records of what was selling through, what time of day was selling them. So I give them some projects to apply their skills and make a contribution to the business that's at a level that's outside of their remit. Mm. Yeah, love it. Okay. Well, that that, leads us into the second question. Uh, which we've you've kind of already t- you've kind of touched on in some in some uh, respects. The best things that you see our young people bringing into our workplace. Yeah. Well, I think that's really exciting. Um, um, our younger millennials and our Gen Zs um, are definitely the newbies in the workplace. And one of the best things I see them bringing is their a their ability to multitask and their relatively quick um, pace of work. Now. 
I'm actually not a fan generally of multitasking because I see the opportunity for too many mistakes and I see the distractions and disruptions. But I think our Gen Z seem to handle doing several things at once with real ease. And I think that when they are, when you see a Gen Z op- <clears throat> excuse me, operating, they seem to be handling two or three things at once and they seem to thrive in that environment of a lot going on at once. So um, I think that that is that quick work pace and that ability to be handling and juggling many balls is great. Um, I also see that they're exceptionally quick to adapt to new technology and to embrace any kind of innovation. So generally from our Gen Zs and our younger millennials, there's no resistance to change. Um, And many businesses will have been down the roads of having to do change management programs to introduce innovation or change to a process. But our Gen Zs eat it up. They see the opportunity to improve a process or an efficiency and they're right onto it. Um, And uh, they get excited about it. And I think their excitement about the um, innovation and technology in the workplace um, can be infectious for others. So I think there's a real value add there for the rest of the business. And if the business is creating a really great culture where it's open and engaged, I see Gen Zs doing a great job supporting and teaching older generations how to use that technology and how to get on board more quickly. So there's this definite two-way sharing of information and knowledge that's really positive. Um, And one of my clients actually has taken that to the next level and we have a reverse mentoring program in place. So we have a lot of, uh, it's a, a, um, Uh, engineering company and we have a lot of older engineers who are very well renowned in their field they're experts they're you know senior principal engineers and scientists and we have them set up with younger people in the business um, and there's this reverse mentoring so the younger people are showing them different ways of doing modeling and different ways of using technology to chat and connect with clients and um, do all these kind of great things whereas the the older more experienced person is teaching them uh, different ways of uh, managing client relationships and doing all those more steadfast kind of business type arrangements. Um, and it's working really well. So that that stuff that Gen Zs are bringing to the workplace is really exciting. Um, and if it's managed and harnessed well, it's got massive benefits for, for business. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say that I agree with all of those um, great things that you, uh, get great characteristics that you um identified the idea of multitasking the idea of pace of work the a lot of things going on a lot of things going on at once and they really thrive in that environment I uh and I've spoken to my listeners about this before I have two gen z's that I live with and that's exactly what goes on and they're not in the workplace yet so they absolutely love I you know I'm just flabbergasted at the way they can do so many things all at once while listening with their airpods in so yeah um, it's actually quite not not that that's appropriate for the workplace, but it's actually really clever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, fabulous. Um, okay, so what do you, what is your understanding of Deb of employer expectations in our current contemporary workplaces? What do employers expect from our our young people, and do you believe those expectations are reasonable? Susan, that's a really interesting question. Um, To be honest, I actually don't think that businesses' expectations have really changed all that much over the years. Generally generally speaking, at a really basic level, I think business owners and managers want their people to come to work, put in a good day's work, do their job, be reliable and trustworthy, follow the rules and any instructions they're given and demonstrate the company values. And I really don't think that that has changed 
um, particularly much as as a base foundation of expectation of a business. Um, I absolutely think those expectations are reasonable. I, I don't think there's anything unreasonable about any of those. Um, and I do think they generally are being met um, by people, including our younger generation. I think the challenge our younger generation has is that they don't necessarily like having to follow the rules or not having a say in what the rules are. I think our younger people are looking for a lot more work-life balance and flexibility in the workplace and um, don't really like being told this job is, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, plus every second Thursday night from nine to, you know, from five to nine or whatever. I think they want more of a say in it. But generally speaking, I think all generations meet employers' expectations reasonably well. I think um, workplace cultures are changing and, um, one of the things in contemporary workplaces that I've seen, this is the one change I've really seen over the last five or 10 years, is that um, in the past it was quite passive in terms of the business was expected to and did take the role of um, developing people and developing people's um, careers and their professional development and putting them through training courses. And I think the key change nowadays is that businesses do expect people to own their own professional development. Um, and to have a say in that and to have ownership of it and to actively um, seek out opportunities to grow and to train. Um, And I think that that's also a fair and reasonable expectation. I don't think a business should have any uh, investment in somebody that's not interested in investing in themselves or or making their professional development desires known. Mm. Yeah, so that's more about owning it and being responsible for your own continuous improvement and development. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, great. So what do you believe then are the critical skills that our young people need, whether they're millennials or Gen Z, need as they um, are working in our modern workplaces? Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so I am very, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll be quite forthright about this. The number one skill that anybody needs is to know how to speak properly and write properly. Young people, critical skill. They need to be able to write and communicate in a professional manner, not in text language, not with lowercase eyes, use the proper there, there and there and your, your and your, um, and structure the communication properly. So I don't care if somebody works in an office or in a cafe, they have to be able to communicate in a, at, a, at a professional level. And especially with the new hybrid working model with more people working remotely, you know, we rely so much on uh, workplace communication. It is just simply not appropriate to ramble on without new paragraphs and new sentences and punctuation, et cetera. So learn how to speak properly and learn how to write properly. That's number one. And if you can't do those, don't bother. Keep studying forever because no workplace wants you if you can't speak or write properly. Um, Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, Susan, because I'm interviewing people um, very often for positions with clients and I am frustrated by people's inability to express their ideas and articulate their thoughts, number one, um, and number two, um, by, uh, you know, the resumes that I get sent through, they've either been professionally done because the person can't write them or they're a dog's breakfast. And I, I don't think you have to be a professional writer, but I think you need to be able to write at a, a level that is reasonable that you would have submitted an English essay in five years ago. Um, there's no need to revert to text to speak now when you're in the workforce, you know, just write properly and speak properly. Mm. That's number one. <laughs> 
I've got others. Okay. Okay. We got a number two. Yes. The number two is I actually think people need to have a reasonable uh, amount of emotional intelligence. Um, I think, and what I mean by that is, I think they have to go into the workforce understanding that when they go to work, it's just not all about them, and there is going to be a pecking order, and they may be at the bottom of that pecking order, and they have to find a way to adapt to that. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about. Mm you know, the world will not revolve around you at work like it did at home. Um, you know, our young people are used to being very important in their family. So they need to be able to have the emotional intelligence or the skill to kind of read the ecosystem of the business and learn how to navigate it properly. And business owners need to help them with that. Um, so businesses should not get frustrated at somebody's um, lack of demonstration of how to do that. They just need to step in and help them if they don't understand um, and have the right conversations and talk openly and honestly about how things work around here. Because for somebody to adapt to a new workplace, they need to understand this is the job I want you to do and this is how things work around here. If you have a problem, you do this. If you need something, you do that. Um, if you fail to tell them that information, you're setting them up for failure from the beginning. Um, so you're not helping them. So that's number two. I think that's and a really important one. Can I just jump in? I think that's mm. a really important one for our employers listening, um, that they really do communicate the important parts of the way things are done in their mm. business because mm. they, they, our young people aren't, particularly if they're coming straight out of school, they haven't been in a workplace before. So they are, they are learning new skills. They're learning how to interact in a different way that's not an educational environment. Um, and they really don't understand simple, simple processes like what's the way to um, fill in my timesheet. I didn't even know there was a timesheet because they're used to going into a classroom where they're called off a roll and off we go. So I think really important, particularly at this time of the year when we've got lots of um, school leavers going out into the workplace um, and our, hopefully our employers are going, oh, I really have to step back from all of this, all of this knowledge that I have from years of experience and really take it back to basics how you know when if I start at 7am what does that mean that means I have to be there at quarter to seven right so I'm logged on and ready for work at the yeah. wherever wherever my workstation is you know those kinds of really simple straightforward tiny things that we we think are tiny now yeah after years in the workplace but for our young people uh, uh, you know are really they don't know yeah well, that's right, Susan. They don't know. And look, um, to be honest, I have had a um, a bit of a mandate for a long time, which is I hire people for full time professional roles that have worked at McDonald's or KFC or one of the cinemas because they have been trained in, you know, turning up on time, presenting themselves on time, following the rules, following the policies, and so on. So I do find that young people that have had part time jobs um, are more easily adapted to a new workplace. But it, some people just have not had the privilege of having a part-time job. They haven't either, either haven't been able to get one or haven't been in a family circumstance that's allowed them to have one. So business owners need to know when they employ somebody, it's, it's, you have to set, you have a responsibility to set people up for success. Now that responsibility is to you and your business, but also to that 
new employee, right? It's not just a matter of recruiting the right person, telling them a list of things that they're responsible for and away you go. That's one part of it. You have to have clarity on your expectations around the responsibilities and the tasks you want the person to perform. But you also have to invest equally in sharing with that person how we do things around here, what what all of these things mean. Um, so, uh, you know, all of those basic stuff. So I, I challenge all of my clients to take a step back and say, what will it take for this person to be successful? What information do they need to know so as not to annoy you, you know? Yeah. And I just put it back on them. If you don't want to be annoyed, what, what do you want from them? I want them to turn up on time. I don't want them calling in sick. I don't want them to, okay, well, let's figure out a way to make that positive and, and teach them what you need to know them to know. Yeah, so, yeah. And then yeah. the third thing, oh, I have oh, more. Okay, you've got a third thing. And the third thing that I think um, young people should have as they enter the workforce is a real deep understanding, and employers should know this too, right? It's a deep understanding that a working relationship, a, a working, um, you know, being an employee, it's a two-way relationship. So you can expect things from your boss and, and the business can expect things from you. But uh, so in the first instance, you're employed to do a job, so you expect to get paid for that job. So your employer expects you to do the job, you expect to get paid for the job, it's a two-way thing. If you will start to want to have more from that employer, if you want that employer to invest in developing you, in training you, in helping your career advancement, in, um, you know, investing in you and spending money on you and helping you, then that, that goes two ways. You have to commit, you have to demonstrate commitment and do more stuff. So it is that two-way relationship and I think both parties are responsible for nurturing that relationship it's not one way or the other it's two-way if it's going to be a success so even though it's in the workplace what the point you're making Deb is that it's like any other relationship we invest in whether that's a romantic relationship or whether it's a family relation extended family relationship or whether it's with our social our social relationships our, our you know our mates or our girlfriends or um, it's the same. It's the same thing. We invest time, we invest energy, and it's two-way and we need to have effective communication. Yeah, exactly right. Yes. Really important. Yeah. Fabulous. So we've got, let's just recap your top, your, <laughs> your, three, your three critical skills, speak and write professionally, <laughs> being able to speak and write professionally. Yeah. Number two, have some emotional intelligence. And understand my words that I um, wrote wrote down while you were speaking was being able to read the eco ecosystem and navigate it properly. Yeah. Um, and number three, a deep understanding that a working relationship is two way. Yeah. Right. So excellent. Thank you. So yeah. you might have already given it. Yeah. <laughs> but let's see, uh, Deb. What's your best advice for our uh, young people preparing for the world of work? That's a really good question, and so I'm going to I'm going to answer that really literally um, in preparing for the world of work. Right, I encourage every young person preparing for the world of work to start asking questions. Now, what I mean by that is start asking questions and doing research with anyone in your life. So your parents, grandparents, uncles and aunties, anyone that you have a connection with that has been in the workforce for more than a year or two, ask them. What do they think a good employee is? Ask them what they think upsets employers. Everybody will have different experiences. Do research and then, and the reason I'm saying to ask questions and do research is because every person needs to take responsibility for shaping the type of employee they want to be. 
So understand what makes a great colleague, what makes a poor colleague, what makes a great employee, what makes a bad employee. Do your research, ask your questions, and then use that information to form what sort of employee am I going to be? And then go out into the workforce and conquer the world because you have the ability, the energy, the opportunity. So go do it. And the, and the understanding if you've asked all yeah. those questions. That's right. So, yeah. And once you, and I, I think those, uh, I love that because I think some of those questions, or by asking those questions, you're really becoming informed and taking a, taking in a variety of perspectives. Yep. So that in itself is actually being um, quite emotionally intelligent yep. as well because we're actually saying, well, I don't know everything, even though, you know, um, our young people, to be fair, they do believe they know heaps. Um, they definitely know more than some of us about technology um, and innovation and adaptability and all of those things. But the expertise that you get from um, older people who have some runs on the board, I guess, some, you know, so they've been around the sun a few more times, they actually have some really great intel to share. And that actually is building these uh, our young people's capacity to understand and be more expansive, you know, be, be more expansive about what I might get hit up with once I hit the workplace. Because we want yeah. our work, we want our we want our young people to really love workplaces. We want them to get jobs that they're happy in. We want them to work for employers that it's that fabulous two way. You yeah. know, it's not all work like that, but you know, it'd be great for our young people to understand by asking the sorts of questions that you're suggesting. It will help them understand if they're actually in a role and a workplace that it, they really love and they yes. should cherish. Or actually, am I in a workplace that maybe isn't right for me? Yeah. So being able to make that decision as well because they've yeah. got a better understanding of, of what, you know, of other people's experiences. Yeah, that's it. And and Susan, I um actually that I, I mean I didn't say that, but I, I'm going to jump on what you just said. Then is I think every young person um, and look, it's a question I ask people when I'm employing them, when I'm interviewing them, and I think young people should, um, I think everybody, but particularly young people entering the workforce should really think about what is important to me. Now, forget salary, like put that aside, salary and status and title. What things are actually important to me now? I will interview people and they will say to me, oh, great workplace culture. But what makes a great workplace culture to one person is completely different to another. So they should really start to drill into what's important to me. Do I want to be working with creative people? Do I want to, do I need my own quiet workspace or would I be happier in an open plan office? Um, do I need natural sunlight? Um, do I care about that? Do I want to work with a lot of other younger people or does that not matter to me? What is important to you to think, to set yourself up for success in a job? Um, and you should know, you should start thinking about what that is and, and that will change over time. You'll go to a workplace thinking that these things were important to me and, and quickly find out that actually these three things were not important to me, but these two things are really important to me and you'll, you'll take that with you to the next job. Um, but I think um, asking even one question of everyone you know, tell me one thing that one of your work colleagues has done that you've really disliked about your work colleagues and, and gathering that information so that you can shape to be the best employee and colleagues. So it's not just about the employees, right? People want to feel valued and appreciated by their work colleagues. So how do I set myself up for success to do that? Um, you know, what are people looking for in the workplace? Well, generally, it's the same. 
But if you ask people that you know and trust and get those answers, you start to formulate an idea of how do I be the best version of me when I go to work? Yes. And to jump on something that you said, I think, you know, you were talking about these these questions that our young people could be starting to ask. And one of them was, what is important to me? I think this is a really great question that employers could ask at interview. I know that you're doing interviews for your, you know, for your clients. However, if you're a if you're an employer and you typically recruit your own people, um, this is a really these some of these questions that you're asking are really great questions to ask at interview, so that they're also getting a sense of right what's important to this person and are they really going to fit the kind of workplace I'm offering? Yeah, yeah. You know, if I need a quiet space and this is the busiest place to work in town, um, you know, is this the right fit? Yeah. I think they're, they're great questions. I mean, I, some of my standards, I always ask what is important to you in your next position or in your first position, whatever it may be. I always ask what sort of relationship do you imagine you would most enjoy having with your manager? Now, every single person will tell you, I don't want to be micromanaged, but who does? Um, but some people will say openly and, and the employer should be ready to prompt them, right, with some examples because they're not always sure how to answer the question. So if I say what's what's most important to you in your next job um you know you might need to give a couple of examples you know is it important is this important to you is that important to you etc same thing with um what sort of relationship do you like to have with your manager sometimes people can get a bit stuck with that and I might say well do you like to communicate all day every day do you like to have a formal meeting once a week do you like to have a quite a formal relationship do you like it to be relaxed and have a joke around you know what sort of relationship do you like because if you know the manager you're recruiting for and you know that person's not going to fit, you, you're setting up both parties to fail from the get-go if there's no match there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So some great advice. Thanks. Some fabulous advice. Thank you very much. Deb, you've answered your five questions. Wow, that's great. Well, um, well. thank you. Thank you. you. And, I, and, um, and I apologise if I got a little bit, uh, what's the word, um, assertive with some of my responses. I'm very passionate about employee-employer relationships, if you haven't been able to tell that. Um, and I, and I, I like to say. I'm pretty sure our listeners have picked that up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really one of the reasons why I invited you on. Oh, well, thank you so much. Really appreciated being invited to have a little bit of a say. And if it's helped somebody out there in your audience, then um, I re I'm really pleased to have contributed to something positive. So yes. thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for your time today and sharing your insights about, you know, some of the skills that our young people need for the future. But in, in, in packaging all of that up and answering our questions, you've actually provided our employers some of our employer listeners with some great advice and tips to how to better transition and welcome and find the right fit for um, these young people now transitioning into our workplaces. Um, so thank you very much. My pleasure. See you later. I am so excited by our younger generation, their adaptability to change, their flexibility and their desire to change the world and make a real difference, not only for themselves, but for future generations in a way that perhaps the current older generations like our baby boomers and my cohort Gen X um, would never have considered or thought possible in many ways. I believe we can learn so much from them if we can just take the time to do so. Finally, 
If you have enjoyed today's episode, please give our Dare to Care podcast a review on your podcast platform. At Dare to Care, we work with organisations small and large to build teamwork, emotional intelligence, interpersonal skills, effective communication and employee engagement. If you would like more information about us or would like to receive our newsletter, you can contact us or sign up to our newsletter at our website, daretocare.com.au. That's daretocare.com.au. Thank you for listening. I'm Susan Judd. And until our next episode, how are you going to dare to care? Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or find out more about HR culture and Dare to Care by going to hrculture.com.au. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 